Welcome to Thinking Edge with Ed Boudreaux. So we couldn't be more grateful to be with you today, Amanda, and uh, she's a senior strategist with Lens Strategy. You have an amazing background. I'd love to dig into that and uh, hand it over to you. Sure. Thanks, Ed. I really uh, appreciate you guys having me here. This is going to be a really great conversation. Yeah. So as you mentioned, uh, my name is Amanda Levesque, and uh, I'm practicing at Lens Strategy, which is a strategy and innovation arm of an architecture firm. And I got there through architecture. So my training is in architecture. I'm a licensed architect. And at the time, I thought that would be a really great career path for me. I was really interested in problem solving, in helping people, in making things. And I really wanted to always be working on projects that were new. Um, and I had that feeling about architecture that, you know, and it's proven to be true that even if you specialize in one kind of building, I have a good friend whose firm works on aquariums, for example, even every aquarium is different. You have to learn the different marine biology behind the fish. And it just seemed like a field that I could always be learning about others and using my skills to help them do their best work. So all of those things are still things I hold dear and things I'm able to do in strategy and innovation. And sort of how I made that pivot in place uh, really at the, the firm I started at was by starting to get to know a few industries. So Shepley Bullfinch is the name of the, the architecture firm that launched Lens Strategy um, that I work at. And they do a ton of work in higher ed and healthcare. So I consider myself so lucky that that's kind of the workplace education I received on top of an architecture education, which is pretty general, just because it was wonderful to be working with such purpose-driven organizations. That, that's sort of the commonality across higher ed and healthcare. Everyone's there to make a difference in someone's lives in, in one way or another. And we got to interact with all the different stakeholders. You know, everyone is implicated when there's a new building to be designed. And it was actually really wonderful. It was one of the only times when all the different silos of the organization come together from surgery to billing to talk about patient experience is in the discussion with the architect uh, to design a new building. Not only you know, is that how we felt we could do our jobs, it was something that people actually got kind of excited about, that it was a moment where you could kind of step away from your day-to-day -day job and kind of see the forest instead of the trees so to speak. That seems like the piece of architecture that always captured my interest, sort of the why of this building, you know, what is this going to accomplish for this organization? How are they going to be able to grow in this new physical space? And at the same time, we were sort of seeing that that was a real client value that we weren't fully capturing. You know, we were delivering architectural services at the end of the day, not visioning or change management or any of these other things that we would touch on in the course of trying to understand how you're going to be working for the next 25 years in order to put a responsible building together that's going to grow with you that should be around for that long for doing our jobs right. That was sort of an uncaptured piece. And then on top of that, there, there's some industry pressure right now where technology is really disrupting how we've traditionally made our revenue. So in architecture, you can kind of imagine the historical way that buildings were made real uh, is hiring, you know, 60 people to draw every brick in the building five times. And it was a fee for time kind of relationship as we go through all the different phases of an architectural process, including construction documents and administering the construction process itself. So as 
technology has changed how we draw, how we design, it's all happening in 3D. And then the drawings are almost automated. There's some work you have to do to edit and clean up, but the entire process start to finish is happening so much faster. So the leadership at my firm were interested in exploring how can we use the capabilities that we have to get a little bit more front end and get a little bit more aligned to the idea that there's value in ideas different from the traditional business model of, of fee for time. That was the ask of folks who were interested in exploring this area. And I thought this was fascinating. I thought this was everything that I wanted architecture to be able to be. Like I mentioned, I love the why and getting people together and getting people excited about a vision, but buildings are slow. Buildings, especially the scale of what I was working on at the time, 300,000 square feet, three to five year process. And I wanted to be able to do things that were more immediate and more cost effective in a lot of cases. So I signed up, I, I said, I will be the first intern of this group. I will do this in my spare time. And you know, when you hit on something that makes you that excited, that it's something that you have to follow. So between those two sort of forces that I mentioned, it certainly wasn't a straight line. We looked into, okay, maybe we should be industrial designers and come up with the products that are on the wall in our architectural design. Maybe we should explore digital physical experiences. So when you are about to be a patient at a hospital and you go on their website, the web experience or the app experience is really similar to the physical experience you're about to engage in. But eventually, you know, as I mentioned, really getting into what our clients found valuable about our architectural process and things that we could carry forward in a more deliberate way with a business unit and a service model around was really the visioning and strategic planning work. That's sort of what we were doing at the end of the day, bringing all these different stakeholders together, using different design methodologies to help them think together about the future of work. And a big piece we borrowed from architecture is implementation. We envision these big things, but we, we make them real at the end of the day. They, there's a building that ends up in the ground. And I think that's really what's made our strategic planning and consulting work different as it's not think tank work, it's very much we are here to roll up sleeves and continue this with you sort of in the mold of how we were trained uh, through architecture. So that's how I pivoted by sort of attaching myself to this ambiguous idea of something that was sort of in our strategic plan, but really needed some characterization and some TLC. And that was about four years ago. And we've been Lend Strategy ever since. So we are a strategy and innovation business unit uh, within an architecture firm, as I mentioned. Sometimes we work together. Sometimes we're able to kind of connect the dots all the way from a strategic plan into how that informs an architectural design. And sometimes we work apart. Sometimes it's sort of very much in the front end strategic planning where we might talk about facilities as a key resource in a strategic plan, but it doesn't really touch architecture. And I've really enjoyed it. I actually just enrolled in an MBA program to kind of shore up my knowledge base in the business side of this work. And I'm really excited to, to see where it continues to go. That's, that's an amazing journey that you've been through. I love the fact that from an architectural perspective, the migration around you know, business transformation and then resulting in a new business unit within your company what would you say the architectural or if there are any architectural principles that apply directly to, to strategy formation? 
That's a fantastic question. I love that question. If I think back to architectural principles that were taught in school, there's some key things that really do translate over pretty directly to strategic planning. So in architecture, we're taught kind of akin to a lot of this human-centered design work that is out there and I'm sure you've heard of and practice in, that it's all about the user of the building at the end of the day. And we're trained to study and observe their experience and their pain points and how to deliver something that will really be a wonderful building experience at the end of the day. So I think absolutely bringing in a dedication to stakeholders from the architecture process is something that makes a successful in strategy. I think another piece is architecture is so much about a parts-to-whole relationship. If you think about like a multifamily housing project, you know, anywhere in the city, it's the relationship between the kitchen, the living room, the bedroom, the bathroom, and then that creates a unit layout. And then you play with a few different units and those kind of arrange and create a form that then has an urban quality to it from the sidewalk that you start to massage. And then it's sort of an outside in, inside out continual trade-off that helps you arrive at the final product. So we are always thinking at multiple scales. We are always thinking in those modular relationships. And I think that's something that also translates to strategic planning as far as, you know, we talk a lot about a vision and then objectives and then initiatives under those objectives and sort of how everything builds up and how it's a two-way street. You start with a vision, work it down, but then there's sometimes there's things you can find out about doing the work of the initiatives that might actually reinform the vision. So uh, I think that's been a, an important piece too. And like I mentioned, implementation. So architecture is very much about sort of blue sky visioning and, you know, sketches and getting those to be at a level of such technical precision that they can be built in the world to a T when everything goes right. <laughs> so I think our work is better by the way we're always thinking about how this will hit the ground um, as opposed to kind of a, a vision or a strategy in isolation. That's amazing. So everything from vision to, to implementation and having that cycle or feedback loop that while you're implementing, you're learning and adapting to the vision potentially. Absolutely. Great. And I'm way out of my league here, but one of the terms that you know, stood out to me from uh, design or, or architecture is this idea of affordance and design affordance, whereby you need to take into account the actual user and what they're looking to achieve. The classic example is, you know, a sidewalk, um, but the, the fastest path is through the grass. And, you know, you see that kind of, you know, path through the grass and that's affordance, right? What is the user behaviors and, and what are they doing? You know, taking that concept, how do you think about creating a vision or implementation around that idea around affordance, if it fits? <laughs> uh, no, that's a great question. I think of it the most when it comes to implementation. We'll talk a lot about user research and human-centered design in a customer sense because business model innovation is very much about, you know, making sure that you have this unique customer value and being obsessed about that value is what's going to make you successful. But the other user that is very much a part of our process, because we don't do a lot of product or a lot of tech, we do a lot of service design, experience design, and organizational design. So it's so abstract and it's so much about the staff, the doctors, the faculty that are bringing this service into reality, those frontline folks, that it's really their affordance and their belief in the vision that is going to make implementation successful. We are always thinking about 
how big of an ask is this? Is this layering on additional work to a nine to five day? Is this something that's actually going to make the other side of the coin user, the employees, really excited that this is really meaningfully connected to their work and allows them to really kind of just focus on the things that are going to matter to the customer and get rid of a lot of other stuff, let it go and really kind of make their work feel more purposeful at the end of the day. And we find that in addition to making sure that we're involving them early on in the design process, like I mentioned, sort of building on the architectural design process where those folks are key people in the room, we can feed sort of insights, some key ideas about a vision and be a little bit more, hold, hold loosely what that implementation will look like and really help them be the ultimate deciders in the character of what the implementation looks like. It's interesting in talking about this, I'm kind of realizing that we have a little bit of a history in lean as well. I would say that what we do borrows from several different methodologies. So I talked about human centered design, talked about architecture, talked about um, business model innovation. But another thing that we really kind of bathed ourselves in early on and learned from our healthcare clients is lean and that idea of asking those who do the work, how to best improve the work, and also sort of getting rid of waste as you bring in new ideas, I think are actually pretty important there. And thank you for helping me work through this kind of on the spot. But it, it harkens back to the history of the name Lens and why, why we're named that is because we bring different methodologies to the table. But I think it, it's interesting. You kind of forget in your origin story a little bit where all these pieces come from. And I really appreciate that you reminded me of that. Well, it's, you just use incredible words there around, you know, belief or believing, making sure that everything is purposeful, that you're highly inclusive and really understanding, you know, what has meaning for people in their work, but making their work easier as, as well, eliminating waste. And, you know, by all those kind of facets, you gain the momentum behind not only the vision of their strategy, but also the implementation because it's theirs. And that's kind of the affordance mm -hmm. piece is you've afforded them the ability to contribute to a vision or strategy and then they're part of the implementation. And, and to your point around lean, that constant learning to make it even better than the original vision. That's, that's amazing. Love for you to bring us through the lens development. So it's been four years and what were some of the, I would say, barriers or accelerators that or aha moments that really kind of accelerated the entrepreneurship that you were able to go through to develop a new concept, new, new strategy that you were so passionate about that resulted in where it is today. Yeah, thank you for asking. Back in 2014, there were some seeds uh, around this idea of extended services. How do we take the services and capabilities that we have and extend them further? And I, the, at that point, we were really talking about the question of, do we take the services deeper or we take the services laterally to serve a different client body? And that was sort of a question that was posed. And the open-endedness of that piece of the strategic plan, I think it, it showed that there was sponsorship from leadership, but absolutely room for people to write in what that meant. And we put Lauren Janney, my mentor, and myself sort of directly in roles that we could explore that question all the time as people who were incredibly passionate about how this would play out. I think that was another smart thing. So open-endedness of the direction, putting folks in charge of that direction that had a ton of passion for this concept. And then finally, I think giving that a proper incubator startup attitude. 
because the organization as a whole is about 200 people, it, that's a long decision-making process just by nature of the amount of, the height of the flagpole, so to speak. So we were given a runway of, you know, this, this is up to you, what you need, you need to be the experts in what this sounds like, what this feels like. You are directly engaging with clients and can immediately be applying that back into the day-to-day -day offerings. We were given a lot of trust and, and runway to not necessarily have to ask for forgiveness or permission to just go. And I think we were able to do that for about six months, then a year, and then two years. And all those learnings that we picked up along the way, that might not have happened if we had been a little bit more restricted or if our time had been split. So for example, we were able to be fully staffed to this incubated piece that would become Lens as opposed to working on architecture projects as well to make sure that the concept of Lens, the project of Lens was front burnered as opposed to back burnered. So I think that level of protection that went in to properly incubate this in the middle of a corporate entity that hasn't really done this before, I think that was a really incredible instinct by leadership. And it allowed us to explore and learn so many things that we might have not been able to get as far upstream as strategic planning if we had maybe only been directed to focus on lean, for example, and we would have sort of been in that cycle of operations and facilities as opposed to the addition of strategy. That's, that's amazing. And when I think of uh, even, even startups, what you're held accountable to as well as, and I love some of the things that you said around, it was open-ended, we were given the right to explore, it was something we were passionate about, so you know that the folks you're investing in essentially, as you would a startup, have that level of drive that's going to break through, you know, potential barriers. What were some of the value points along the way? So, you know, an example of startups, they look for, you know, have you gone in the early stages, have you gone beyond three customers and are they not your friends out of, of college type of thing? It means you're gaining that product market fit. So how did you kind of think about the value uh, along the way over the four years and how did you pitch that to senior executives to say, hey, we're on the right track because of X, Y, or Z? That's a good question. I think I would say, I think I would say repeat work. We were hired back by a few folks to continue on sort of related projects or more detail in existing projects. And that showed that we had really made good on the value that we proposed. You can propose anything. <laughs> right. um, so the fact that even though we were pretty new at this, we were able to master it to a level of client satisfaction. I think we also were able to work with clients that the architecture firm had never worked with before. So we got our start called an additional service, you know, through an architectural process saying, hey, we actually have a team that can explore the side strategy question over here. And the relationship came through the architecture door and then we added a strategy piece to it. So the, when we were starting to get work from brand new clients that we weren't relying on the reputation of our fantastic architecture colleagues to really kind of make a warm handoff that we were, we, our pitch from sort of cold was accepted and exciting. I think another important metric is once we started not only doing repeat work for the same client, but repeat work for the same project types where we had a prototype to go on. We knew what staff we needed. We knew the schedule it would take. That 
created a stronger financial performance, I think, for the team. And I, I think we were given a little bit of leeway early on to just go do, getting back to that kind of permission. I, I for, you use a really incredible phrase. I want to be able to quote it, but I can't. I'll have to watch this back. So that's been the journey of the four years as we try to kind of go after as much as we could in the sense of where, you know, we could reasonably find work. And then based on the successes we had there start to narrow into very specific project types and strategic planning has really been one of those ones that we're, we're looking at now to continue to focus on. That's great. So many, so many models come to mind. One is uh, horizon. So H1, H2, H3, that, you know, horizon one is incremental product uh, or adjacent products. It sounds like you were in H2, which means you have a new product offering, but beyond that you were a little bit in H3 as well because you were expanding market of clients that you hadn't been able to target for, for different reasons. But it sounds like you were really playing on the edge strategy using Horizon. So that's amazing. That's really helpful. Thank you for putting it that way. Sure. And you know, I, love I would creating love creating tools and frameworks with folks. That's a new <laughs> one for me. Absolutely. And I, I would love to ask you, what three pieces of advice would you give to an aspiring entrepreneur, startup person, or someone who's looking to really extend a current business model and, and create a whole new business model? What kind of advice would you give to, to someone that's at that precipice of, of change? I would say be hyper-focused on problem framing and be a little bit more solution agnostic than you might traditionally lean to. So I think it's important to kind of, if, if you're in this pivot moment where maybe you've come from tech and you're getting into consulting or you've come from, in my case, space and are getting into consulting or, you know, there's all sorts of different hybrids that this industry creates. And I think we need, I think we need more of them. So I encourage people to go down to this path first and foremost, but I think the common skill, no matter what medium you practice in at the end of the day is that problem framing piece. And that's going to guide you as you are maybe developing a new kind of project that you've never really done before to keep you on target those guiding principles of that user experience you're trying to create the problem you're trying to solve. And then I think this is the more interdisciplinary we can get the better in the sense that I will always maybe be a little bit biased towards space. I'm really trying to shed that, but you know, it's not as fast as a technology solution. Um, say we're working on a project where health outcomes is, a, is what we're trying to affect. By the time we can solve it spatially, maybe a year will have gone by. But the, the benefit of space over maybe tech is that there's a hundred percent adoption rate of space because everyone has to walk through the front door of a clinic, you know? So I think, the more you can focus on problem framing, the looser you maybe hold with that ultimate medium or ultimate deliverable is. And uh, you don't have to wear all those hats yourself. I think you can find collaborators that really are excited about the problems that you're framing. And then you can combine skill sets to be able to deliver hybrid solutions across a whole different set of mediums that would be more effective than a deep dive into any one of them. I love that. Fra frame the problem. Make sure you're solving the right problem by framing it. And I loved your interdisciplinary approach. Or I thought of polymaths, actually. So people who have you know, broad and in deep thinking in different areas and bringing them together as in a collaboration to really come up with you know, the problems framed right, the potential solutions that could be brought to bear. I think 
My second recommendation or piece of advice would be when we came out of the gate, I think there was an instinct to kind of be buttoned up and be experts in this. And I think the more you can actually let go of that and leverage the fact that creativity is so tied to a beginner's mindset and that you see problems differently because you haven't done this 400 times can actually be to your benefit. And as far as practicing that, I absolutely recommend being a teacher of some kind, either formally or informally through, you know, mentorship with folks in your firm, um, because it keeps you from being able to hide behind jargon as you explain something. So uh, working in settings with beginners, with beginners mindsets, I think is kind of contagious. And the more exposure to that, the more you can stay there and it will translate into client environments where you really need to be able to explain the why really, really clearly. Um, and if you can't explain why, that that's okay too, that you'll figure it out together. I love that. The beginner's mindset, you know, always as you're approaching opportunity or, or issue and then teaching because teaching requires you to understand, but then articulate around what you're solving for and, and iterating on that to make sure that clarity is there. And then I always think about teaching and doing as well. So it's almost like as mm. you're doing your client work, you have the beginner's mindset, you have some things to teach. It might be, you know, strategy and strategy frameworks, but you're engaging with them and then really understanding the why that you're, you're going after to, to, to solve. That's great. I think the last piece that I would recommend to folks that are trying to pivot a little bit, especially in place, would be to really diversify your network. So my LinkedIn feed used to be entirely other architecture firms, um, other architects. You know, we have a reputation for actually, you know, kind of sticking to ourselves being kind of a hermetically sealed group. <laughs> and the more you can kind of expand who you're receiving information from, um, the resources you follow, the people that you follow, um, I think it helps getting back to that first point of being focused on problem framing and holding more loosely the actual solution format by surrounding yourself with practitioners from other industries. It just is steep in it and it, it helps you think differently and, you know, we might be able to suggest uh, different ways of of doing the traditional work at your firm that would su suggest something that should be incubated. So I think diversifying your network, both from an industry standpoint and also, of course, the sort of cultural moment we're in now, um, that the more perspectives and life experiences you can be exposed to and are absorbing on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, those ideas are only going to become more meaningful and more valid at the end of the day. So I mean, I mean that in both senses of the word, to diversify. That's great. Amazing uh, advice for entrepreneurs or, or startup folks around, you know, frame the problem, right, to start. Really have a, an interdisciplinary approach to, to problems. And then, you know, having that beginner's mindset approaching any problem because that's going to really bring out curiosity and, and questioning and, you know, really helping frame that problem correctly. And then as you look to, to pivot, leaning on and diversifying not only your network, but you know, being inclusive uh, as well. So that's, that's an amazing set of advice for, for folks. So Amanda, we couldn't appreciate more you being on 
Thinking Edge today and what a brilliant mind entrepreneur. You're, you're an architect, you're a designer, you're a strategist, really kind of that really polymath that is able to go deep, right? Because, and develop, you know, broad, broad solutions. So we, we couldn't appreciate you taking the time with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Ed. This has been really fun and you've prompted me to think differently in the past conversation. That absolutely brought some fresh thinking to me just having this time with you. So thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you.